Food and Faith podcast would like to thank our sponsor, Memphis Theological Seminary. Memphis Theological Seminary is currently accepting applications to join the next cohort of the Doctor of Ministry in Land, Food, and Faith Formation. This dynamic and innovative low-residency program is open to students who are passionate about the intersections of ministry with agricultural practices, food justice, care for the land, and the role of faith communities in both rural and urban settings. Students in this program explore the theological and ethical dimensions of land and its use, the role of food in our lives, and the ways faith communities both shape and are shaped by their relationship with land and food. This program will provide theological resources and practical models for the practice of ministry in faith communities, which seek to relate more intentionally to the care of land, food, and all living creatures. The first one-week residency for the new cohort takes place in June 2022, and applications are currently being accepted until April 30th. For more information and to apply, visit memphisseminary.edu. Food and Faith Podcast, conversations from the soil and around the table with your co-hosts, Anna Wolfenden, Derek Weston, and Sam Chamberlain. Well, hello, Food and Faith Podcast community. This is Anna here, and I have the joy today to be joined by a couple of guests, one of whom I've known for her entire life one of my younger sisters, um, and then her housemate, um, or former housemate now, <laughs> now her housemate is her, is her spouse, but um, long-term housemate, and we are excited to talk about what it looks like to be in a kitchen that is shared by people from different uh, backgrounds, different experiences of kitchen, different kinds of cooking, and what it looks like to be a cohesive um, housemate family. Would you call it a family, a housemate team? Sure. <laughs> um, within, uh, within a kitchen together. Um, so I'm really looking forward to this conversation. And I'm going to start off by letting our guests introduce themselves. Um, Harshita, why don't you start? Okay. So my name is Harshita. I came to Boston in 2018 to go to Leslie University for the same course that Nora did, except I was in dance therapy and um, Nora was in music. I let her do her own introduction. (laughs) And and, um, I've lived in two different countries. So I've lived in India and then uh, my parents stay in Dubai. So like I also have lived there and um, I was bringing kitchen from like I feel like two different countries to uh, US and yeah I stayed with Nora for three years and yeah and we did a lot of cooking which we'll talk about but that's me and now I'm a therapist and I use food as a coping skill so here we are this morning discussing that. (laughs) Wonderful thank you and Nora. So I'm Nora. I'm the Anna's younger sister one. Um, and like Anna, I grew up in Washington State. I came to Boston for grad school, as Hashita did, um, and had the pleasure of 
you know, finding the three other grad students on the message board and building uh, an apartment together, which really ended up turning into a family. And we've always felt very fortunate that that, <laughs> that lined up. Um, so I've I've bopped back and forth across the U.S., uh, lived on both the East Coast and the West Coast at different times, um, but I'm now, at the moment, settled in Boston. Excellent. Well, why don't we dig a little deeper into your history, each of your histories um, with kitchens, and to talk a little bit about what was the kitchen like growing up. And when we say describe your kitchen, I mean, you can describe your physical kitchen, That's that can be part of it, but... What were the experiences that you had in the kitchen? Who were the other people that were in it with you? And how um, how are you formed and informed by your experience of your your childhood or or you know growing up kitchen? So I think the the things that stand out to me about my childhood kitchen, the I mean the first thing that jumps to my mind is homemade bread. Um, my mom, our mom, uh, baked bread every week. <laughs> And so I, you know, I recall getting to push the bread down as it rose um, and help form it into loaves. And I think as I grew older, the, the emphasis for food for me was baking. Um, that was one of the ways that you could get a, like a sweet treat in our household. Um, so I, as I was old enough to be independent in the kitchen, I was baking cookies and apple pie. And there were varying rules around uh whether I had to share that or not. Um, but uh, yeah, that's sort of the the center of my independent kitchen time. And then I think, you know, there, there were certainly jobs for everyone in our kitchen, but it, my memory is that we sort of did them independently. You know, often mom was did the bulk of the cooking and then the kids were in charge of setting the table or cleaning up and I don't remember so much um cooking meals together um yeah those are some things that that stand out wow what about you Harshita I'm going to try and summarize this um, so when I was uh, growing up, I grew up in a very small town in India, actually, and um, the way our houses work there is we do have a lot of house help that is almost like extended family, and they it's typically like them who runs the kitchen, and then we venture in and out of it, and I remember that I used to spend most of my weekends trying to do something in the kitchen behind them while they micromanaged me like evening tea was my job so making tea for my grandparents uh, because evening tea is really a thing in India like your evening tea and snacks so there's like tea fruit biscuits cucumber sandwiches like all, all of the good stuff and uh, that used to be my duty along with um, the cook in my house and um, I do remember having some really uh, deep conversations with with them while I was trying to help them out or um, dipping bread and tea is also something that's really like common in India. That's like people do. And I would always try to dip my bread in 
in like their cup of teas, like everyone else's cup of teas. And like, I wasn't allowed to do that, but I still used to manage to do that. Um, I think that that changed a little bit when we moved to Dubai, though. I did start helping my mom out a lot in the kitchen or when my dad was cooking once in a while, like him in the kitchen. And I think my my relationship to meat also really comes into this because traditionally, religiously, we my my community doesn't consume meat, but my family um we eat everything. But I think I I saw that shift um really develop when I was growing up in India we we didn't eat as much meat back home it was all pretty much vegetarian food freshly cooked meals all like all the three times a day that changed a little bit when we moved to Dubai like we started consuming a lot more meat and it would like there would be a lot less cooking um as opposed to what was happening in India so it, I think like I've I've grown up seeing how different communities work their kitchen based off on how modernized they are or how many resources they have and their value systems. And I I I I don't I'm grateful that I'm getting to process that via this conversation because you don't pay attention to these things sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I find that these questions um can bring up a lot because in many ways, a kitchen is kind of um, at a heart, the heart of a home. It can be, and for for good or for ill, or usually for for some mix of um, good memories or hard memories or confusing. <laughs> and that what we learn there is um, is something that goes with us and can really inform us today, whether we notice it or not. So it's it's really part of our hope in these conversations and in the um, book project that we are working on around this topic is to draw out those stories in each other and in the conversations and, you know, even in our, our listeners and our readers to think about, oh yeah, what, what was that like? Or like shared, like what shifted when you moved from one place to another place, like that, that physically there was a different kitchen, but it was within a different culture and a different probably stage of your family's life and maybe Mm. different resources available be it time or whatever whatever those shifts are how that actually changes your experience so Mm -hmm. so you both came from you know very very different kitchen experiences and then you with your other two housemates come together in Boston you don't know each other you're in a little apartment with a like a decent small apartment sized kitchen but but still pretty small apartment sized. <laughs> um, and um, what happened? Like, tell me about those first weeks, especially when you were getting to know each other. And what was it like to be sharing that space? I mean, I so we lived together in two different apartments. Hmm. Um, and the more recent apartment had the like, when we moved in there, we were like, this kitchen is amazing. We love it so much. <laughs> but the first apartment kitchen was not fabulous um I think the biggest negotiation was around how do we fit all of our stuff in cupboards and shelves (laughs) and especially bringing we had two people coming from different states within the U.S. and then two people coming from overseas and so who brought the plates you know do we have enough frying pans um where where are all the 
pieces of the kitchen coming from yeah i don't think we've like really spoken about our internal thought process about that like we went through the same experience my experience was actually very interesting and i feel like there are bits and pieces of it that like the others know about i, I don't think like the the whole thing has been pieced together so before i was moving my parents were like okay you know like indian food stinks and uh it's not super accepted in us so you'll really have to navigate your way around that because most indians who come here they they tend to live with other indian people and i didn't want to do that i wanted to like if i'm going to a country i want to explore the culture and like assimilate and stay with the people who've born been born and brought up there and so i was like okay i'm going to have to maneuver my way through this and also like sharing utensils like my parents planted the seed i didn't have it and then i came here and i tried to figure out all of all three of their schedules and when no one's in the house so i can cook for the whole week and at some point i in like in the first two weeks um I ended up having a conversation with Nora like about her schedule and yada yada and um I blurted it out and I was like oh so I can cook Thursday night and like I think a conversation opened up and sh- she told me she's like one if someone's having a problem it's on them because you have to eat like you can't adjust your eating based on what's happening in the house so you have to cook you have to eat and if someone's having a problem then it's kind of on them i mean it's food and i think that instantly created so much ease for me and it was important for me there was no there was no issue but like it it was like it was important for someone i think to come and tell me that because it would have taken me 5 6 months to realize that uh on my own uh and i think uh, that said uh, we were all very open to um accepting each other's cuisines and eating it and then we had our own rituals like bonesh and i are huge on caffeine so whenever we're stressed if like if nora was around yeah just let's just have a cup of chai <laughs> like let's just do it and then i would bring in these homemade biscuits that my mom sends like savory ones nora would have her uh, ruffle chips from trader joe's like it was it was a set thing like we all know these things about each other parent would have like apple or peanut butter or she i, I forgot was was it rich i don't know she eats some biscuits yeah. with like peanut butter like everyone had their like stress snacks and uh preference of caffeine and like we would just sit there and process how this professor is not jiving with us or this assignment's not jiving with us kitchen was a huge part of i think if i were to really define my kitchen life it's in us and it's it's for three of you guys like i learned so much from you and like a huge part of my independence came through our kitchen experience in our households yeah and i i mean i'm thinking about the layout of that first apartment too because you know the the kitchen and living room were one room and then all of our bedrooms opened into that big central room so it you know the traffic just always was moving past the kitchen and you know i'm particularly remembering the mornings where first term of grad school we were all in the same classes some mornings and so we were all getting up getting our own individual breakfasts and you know packing our lunches for the day but it was all overlapping and 
for a small space, my memory is that we just, you know, we were able to sort of have this unchoreographed dance around. Okay, <laughs> this person's on the stove, that person's using the table. And, you know, each eating our individual foods, but preparing them in, um, you know, in tandem with each other. Yeah, yeah. it wasn't stressful yeah. for me. Uh, and I also yeah. like, like, I think we, if over time we came up with our own stuff, like both of us love orange chicken. Yes. <laughs> so like that's like a me and Nora thing. And then I think we all individually had things with each other. Like, I feel like I went through this whole bagel phase with Nora, mm-hmm. where I would like wake up in the morning and eat a cinnamon raisin bagel. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah <laughs> and the image of yeah so there would be the morning you know getting breakfast together and then there's usually an evening like everybody bring their favorite snack and mm. you know there was some like sharing around that you you know you could count on Hashita to make amazing chai and <laughs> um and like yeah I bring the potato chips and there was sort of that like end of the day debriefing time where mm. again you know we each brought our our thing in but there was there's a little more sharing and a sort of you know yeah sharing in, in that um, yeah that time so after you moved to your second apartment and it was still the four of you I believe at the beginning the pandemic hit and so you were all each other's bubble <laughs> and I'm curious um I know a a lot of people, not everybody, certainly, but there, there it seems like there's a, there's a common story about how people's experiences in their kitchen sh- shifted in one way or another during the pandemic, that some people were cooking more, others were like realizing, oh my gosh, I have to like get three meals a day for my, you know, kids, they're not at school, whatever it is. Um, and I'm curious, and, and maybe it didn't, but I'm curious um, how, especially those early weeks of the pandemic when, you know, everyone was at home all the time. Um, how did that shift? Or did I just say, what did, that, what did that look like in your kitchen? And did it look any differently or was there a different kind of interaction that happened? I think um, because it was the pandemic and we were four people and we were sharing one fridge. Um, I think the, the fridge space had, had become like a bit of a stretch. But other than that, for me personally, I had a very bad schedule. I wasn't dealing with the the pandemic super well. So sometimes breakfast would, not sometimes, every day, breakfast would be in the afternoon and like a little later in the afternoon, like maybe because I didn't have an appetite in the morning. So like my, my meals were not super like clashing with other people, but also, I, I, I saw a sense of discipline in Nora. So I felt like, oh, I should have these like meal times. Like it would define my day. So I would like come and try and use the kitchen after her. Like she was my, like you were my mental timer sometimes. Okay, like go eat lunch, go eat dinner. I think we, I'm not sure. Yeah, we did like a few meals together too. Like, oh, it's the weekend. Let's just eat together, wallow about the pandemic. Um, Yeah. It's interesting. As you say that, I'm remembering, although we were physically in the same space, yeah, I think our sort of 
eating and cooking kind of spread out because mm-hmm. we we didn't all have to be out of the house, you know, at a certain time. And so we would kind of, oh, you know, I kind of hear someone in the kitchen. I'll, I'll you know, wait for a little bit and then, um, you know, go cook my meal. Um, but we did, you know, at that point, we kind of had already had a bit of a tradition of family dinners yeah. where before the pandemic hit, we would meet at the dining hall on campus before our class and, you know, wolf down dinner in the 15 minutes everyone had. But once we were all at home, I, if I'm remembering right, that, that tradition kind of shifted to in the house and, Mm -hmm. um, and not every night, but more often, you know, we were all home, we were all eating at roughly the same time. And so we would do that together. Yeah. And I think even in this last year, all of our festivals we did do them like we did Easter um, and we all got together. We cooked, like did the whole um, meal and it was, it was like quite lavish. <laughs> we have <Yeah>. pictures <laughs> and <laughs> we did Diwali, um, which is the Hindu new year. And we all cooked like um, Nora helped, um, Andrew helped. Um, Darshi was there, whatever, like our other like roommates and stuff, we all got the meal together. And I, I think that's been consistent over the years too. Like every year we've done a Diwali or and like either Easter or Thanksgiving or Friendsgiving. That's that's a, like a potluck concept. Um, yeah. 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 It's, it's reminding me that um, even before the pandemic, Mm-hmm. You know, we, the four of us in the home came from three different faiths, um, and so, and, and traditions. And so we, we had introduced each other to different festivals. Um, but in the pandemic, you know, we were each other's bubble. We were each other's family. And so, you know, I wasn't going to go jet off somewhere else to celebrate Easter. And, and so, you know, we celebrated Easter together and, mm-hmm. you know, you couldn't gather the, the, your community outside of our bubble for Diwali. So, you know, we, we celebrated it together inside our bubble. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that leads well into the next question, which is wondering is, you know, does your faith connect to your cooking and if so how and um I would love to to hear about this in a variety of ways but I think those festivals are a good place to start and it seems like um what a what a way to not only share foods that you each brought but also to share a bit about your traditions or your faith or your religious background or your cultural background however you would frame those festivals um but as I'm curious if you how you might um, answer or explore whether your faith is is connected to your cooking or whether you learn things about one another's backgrounds, faith backgrounds through through sharing kitchens. I mean, I certainly feel that I was introduced to to yeah to, to a lot of Hashem Banesh's backgrounds through cooking. I think yeah, my impression was that um, that your festivals are were marked by food, um, or you know there was always a, like okay this you know this is the traditional food that we eat for this and um, yeah and you know this is the history so yeah 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 that is that is true I think uh, for me personally um, sometimes it was um, 
hard in a way because I don't get a lot of the ingredients um, here that we traditionally like would find. And like, why would you? It's like a different country. But um, I still managed my way around it. And like, it didn't feel that way because I had like a sense of connection and family. Like I knew I have someone to celebrate with who's open to celebrating uh, it and uh, being open to whatever I have to offer. I think my biggest piece was like the heat tolerance. Like I myself don't have very good heat tolerance, but then we would eat, like there would be spices in the food, but um, touch wood, like everyone in the house had like a good amount of like tolerance for like a diverse palate. Um, I think the one thing I personally really enjoyed because my religion doesn't like really consume meat, but I do. I cherished all the other festivals where I could consume meat. <laughs> I'm like, yes, let's bring the pork. <laughs> so um, yeah, that was that was uh, nice for me. I felt I felt good about that. I felt like I was a part of something, and then while feeling like someone else was a part of my stuff, it was it was good. Yeah, and I feel like for me, I. I lose the thread between between what the meal I'm eating and and the you know the religious holiday I'm celebrating often. Um, so I mean I I'm Christian and um, I have very clear ideas of like this is what you eat on Easter, but there's there's like the celebration of church and and the Easter service. And then afterwards there's the meal. And I, I often lose lose the thread of connecting those together, which, you know, is counter to this name of this podcast. But <laughs> there you have it. <laughs> um yeah, I I would I would say the same. Um I, I, I didn't know how to quite phrase that, but yeah, that's that's exactly it. Like I I would still eat the things that you would eat on a festival, but like am I connect how am I connecting to it? Um I, I don't know like the thought is exactly connected to the religious piece of it. And that's it. I, I would do the whole practice. So in India and in most households, every meal that we make, it goes to the gods first. So like we would have a temple inside our house and you serve the gods and about 30 minutes later, you eat it because it's like the gods are blessing your food. And it's common knowledge that like we have like 3 million of them. So like they're all just like sitting there blessing food. And then, so we can't taste our food when we're making it. Like you just like you wing it or you leave it to like it turns out the way it turns out you know so I do do all of that um like that intentionality like I don't taste my food when I'm making it like out of habit on the religious days I do like put it in front of the the god before like I would consume it but then I do enjoy the other aspects of it that are prohibited by my religion that's just I mean that's just such a beautiful way to to um bring some of your religious tradition into this multi-faith multi-culture home and I'm curious Nora did you know that before just now that that was happening I'm trying to remember I I I definitely remember hearing that you couldn't taste the food as you were cooking um I don't think I was aware 
um, of you like letting it sit with the gods before eating. Um, so yeah, some of it, but That's, not. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and it, it connects with another question I was going to ask, which was, is, was there any kind of, um, you know, shared ritual or blessing or something that was done together or was that, those are more, more private um, acts. And it sounds like Shana, that you're, that was maybe more of a private act, but you did it even as you were cooking communally. And I'm just, I'm just curious, like what things were brought and, and done and respected by one another and what, but maybe not shared and whether there were things that were, were shared. Yeah. I think, for, I think for the most part, it was sort of, yeah, a, a sort of private observation, but I am remembering, um, on some holy days, um, when Brunesha would celebrate one of her holy days, she would, she would bring us into that and, and teach us, you know, this is what this food signifies. And, um, mm. you know, and, and we would each, we would each taste it. I'm, I'm not remembering, but, um, so there were, I think in general, we had our, we had sort of our private rituals, but then there were some days where, um, we would bring the household into those rituals. I think the general vibe in our house was that I am doing this because this is supposed to happen and I invite you to be a part of it and you participate to the extent you are comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like it It wasn't like, yeah, I'm going to say grace so you also close your eyes and like believe and follow in everything I'm saying or I'm like, don't taste the food because the gods are eating it, whatever. Like, you know, um, it was like, yeah, this is what's happening and you you come and go out of it as much as you're comfortable and i i would say that when i would like say introduce something the level of participation and involvement looked different from the other three people and that i i felt like that was the case in all the other um situations too like for Buneshte like we're we're from two different faiths but we did grow up in India the both of us so there are still so many like overlaps in our rituals and such so my my level of like familiarity with that then hence influenced my participation and yeah well growing out of that and kind of pivoting a bit um I want to talk before we close about how justice connected to your kitchen and um, and this actually might be an area where just knowing the four of you, um, that maybe you had actually more share, sh- shared experience and values. Um, so I'm curious, um, when, when we talk about justice, that can come in in a lot of different ways. That can be about where do you source your food, it can be about food waste, it can be about, um, you know, like decisions about um, what food you eat and, you know, meat or uh almond milk that takes a lot of water to make it or whatever you know whatever your um, choices are but I think it might also I'm curious because you um you know all four of you were training to be therapists now you're you know that's that is your your professional path and your calling if if that influenced your sense of what happened in the kitchen um and thinking of of justice in that that bigger sense of like whole and thriving people and so you can you can enter this this part of the conversation in whatever way um you choose but what what how did justice show up in your kitchen individually or collectively i mean i the most immediate way is uh i think 
partway through living together, Banesh and I figured out a way for us to compost. Um, and, and, you know, the whole household Proud was very much on board with that um, and, and contributed financially. So, so that was part of our kitchen. And even before we had a compost service, um, we were separating, you know, wet trash and dry trash, which I think was more from Banesh's and Hashita's culture um, than culture I grew up in. Um, so there was, there was that piece. I think, I mean, we were all on grad student budgets. Um, so I think that there was a wish to be more conscious of how we're sourcing food, but also the reality is that, um, you know, we just didn't have the resources to do that. And I'm also thinking, especially when the pandemic hit, like getting groceries was looked different and was more of a collaborative effort um, because we would all be like, okay, you know, we don't want the whole household to be exposed very often. So like, let's do a big grocery trip. Um, And, you know, Peyton or I would would drive the household to a store, get all the, Mm -hmm. get all the food and bring it back. So I think there, you know, there's some, some collaboration around that of how do we feed this whole household? Yeah, I think um, I think there are two things for me when I, I I feel like when we talk about this, I think there was a lot of um, uh, willingness to adjust, share, and um, accountability, so then the other person doesn't feel um, thrown off, and um, which th- th- there was that common like value system that existed between all of us. Um, I think the first few months that I was here, I was I was like enjoying exposure to like different foods. But I think a few months later, I did miss Indian food. And Peyton did drive me to like an Indian grocery store so I can like get get food. And I think that just that level of understanding and like wanting to like share your resources like even during the pandemic I used to go with Dora to like um, get groceries and uh, Bunish they would have something going on or Peyton would have something going on so we would have their list and we would just like get their stuff too um, so less people are exposed and it, it 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 wasn't like an individualistic system and I think that's a huge part of justice like you cannot achieve justice alone it has to be with other people like it's it comes in groups and I think our our house was really like representative of that and um there would also be times when we've had very important conversations about justice because I think that's in our own way a huge part of all of us like all four of us are very uh, justice and um, equity driven people and there are like conversations that I remember that are very very valuable to me that happened on our kitchen turf (laughs) Mm. Uh, over shared snacks and caffeine and values. I mean I was was gonna say I think one of the ways that justice was happening in the kitchen most prominently was especially this last year when Hesha and I had both graduated but were working, our conversations about our work and about the justice and injustice in the mental health world and how we were both trying to navigate being yeah. new professionals. Um, you know, and that because again, you know, we we were out of the house again um, and, and out in the world, the kitchen was where we would come together and we would cross paths. And, um, you know, if someone was cooking, then 
someone else would come out and, you know, oh, make a cup of tea and, and talk through our day. Um, and so the kitchen got to be that, that sort of hub and that communal space where, yeah, where, where we were talking through the world and our, and our interaction in it. Yeah. And I think we also had like very deep conversations about how justice is a part of our faith in a way. That's how I would see it. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, you know, our, our call to treat individuals and, and the world with, with care and justice is, uh, yeah, for me, it's, it's very much grounded in my faith. I blanked after I said justice is a part of our faith. And like, yeah, that will explain it all. But thank you for elaborating. I will bring peace. <laughs> Teamwork. I got you. <laughs> well, we always end our podcast with this question about hope and what brings you hope. And we talk about how it's not the kind of hope that um, covers over the hard things or ignores them, but the kind of hope that actually helps you to keep getting up in the morning and hope that helps you to keep going. And so for this series, looking at um, kitchens, we're kind of narrowing that question a little bit um, and asking the question of where do you see hope in your kitchen? And that could be um, your current kitchen, which I know is not a shared kitchen for the two of you anymore. Um, or it could be looking back on the times that you had together in a shared kitchen. And um, what is it that um, that gives you hope for your own life and family in the world or for um, the bigger the bigger community? I think that I personally learned from our household that there's a huge part of family life and conversations and um, there is so much that comes together in the kitchen that I may not have seen growing up. And this is a something that I would want to impart to like my family going forward. And I think I have, I have like maybe over time seen that shift too. I feel like a lot of value system and moral building happens in a kitchen. Um, but they are like very open conversations because, because food is involved. And I think people get, people get angry because they're hungry most of the time. And like, that's very impossible in the kitchen because you're eating. So um, I feel like that there is hope for like a better world and, Food, food makes it happen and tolerance for like I don't know different things that I, I have hope through food and because it's like you you build on a good value system and conversation in the kitchen like that that's what my takeaway from like our household kitchen was I see a lot of hope in yeah and how food brings people together and um and I guess that that commonality of we all need food, we all need that resource. And so I have hope that it can be the piece that can ground us into common work and um, working together towards towards better things with that sort of pulling us into seeing seeing what we have in common um, and, you know, and what we have, the unique things we have to offer, but um, knowing that at the root of it, we all need food. Right. It's that thing that bonds us together as humans and not just humans, <laughs> as living <laughs> creature, living being. 
Well, I want to thank you both for taking the time to um, have this conversation and for the, your willingness to reflect and to explore your own experiences um, and share them with our listeners. So we look forward to the other the stories that will be evoked as people hear your stories. I <laughs> hope that you get to continue to find one another to gather in each other's kitchens and um I look forward to being in both of your kitchens again before too long. Yes, I will make you so much cup of chai. <laughs> ah, I love your chai. I miss your chai. Yes. <laughs> or you can even come to my kitchen and miss your, and make your chai. Yes, that's that's. I like that option more because then I get some baby time and. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. It's a deal in the new year. We'll have to find the time. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Food and Faith podcast. Our collaborators are Wake Forest School of Divinity, Plain Song Farm, the Garden Church, and the Keep Until. Editing is by Derek Weston and music by Paul Deemer. Follow along and keep up to date with the podcast on Facebook at Food and Faith Podcast, Twitter and Instagram at Food and Faith Pod, or on our website at foodandfaithpodcast.org.